For our scripture reading this evening, we turn to 1 John chapter 4. We read this chapter one more time before moving on to 1 John 5. 1 John 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Our text this evening is the 17th verse of 1 John 4, herein is our love made perfect, 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, today we come to the conclusion of our consideration of 1 John chapter 4. The remaining verses give emphasis to matters that we have already considered. And for that reason, we're going to move on to the fifth chapter, God willing, after our consideration of verse 17 today. We have to remember that the apostle has been emphasizing what it is to live in God's fellowship. And the chief characteristic of that fellowship is love. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. One great blessing of that love in which we abide with God, and by which also we love one another, is that we are conscious of living in the light, in the joyful awareness of God's love to us. That's our comfort in life and death that we know his love for us. In the language of verse 12, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And then the text that we considered last Sunday morning on the occasion of the Lord's Supper stands on the foreground once again, verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath literally In us, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. In the text that we consider this evening, verse 17, the inspired apostle is still speaking of that life of love. He's speaking emphatically of that love that binds us together in Christ, and therefore that we have toward one another. Because the text reads literally, herein is made perfect the love among us. But then follows another great blessing or fruit of living in God's fellowship. To abide in love and to bear the fruits of that love in our own lives, results in boldness in the day of judgment. And that's the theme of the text before us this afternoon, this evening. Boldness in the day of judgment. And from this text, we want to consider the meaning, the possibility, and the ground for this boldness in the day of judgment. We must begin, first of all, by considering the meaning of the basic concept of this text, which is the truth of our theme, boldness in the day of judgment. The text calls us before that idea that might easily make us rather uncomfortable, the judgment day. After all, this is one of the most powerful figures, one of the most 
one of the greatest matters that confronts us in the Bible, the doctrine of the judgment. God's judgment of every rational moral creature. The day of judgment is the last day. The day in which all earthly history comes to its close. It's true, of course, we might also view that day of judgment from the viewpoint of the day of our death. Because at the moment of death, as the parable in Luke 16 makes clear, we are immediately ushered into the place of our eternal destiny, and that according to the perfect judgment of God. So in that parable, the poor beggar, Lazarus, died and was immediately carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, that is, into the fellowship of just men made perfect. But the rich man, whose life was not in Christ, opened his eyes in hell. And so we know that as we face death, We're already judged by God himself. But the day of judgment referred to in the text is the last day. Sometimes referred to in the New Testament as the day of Christ. There are those who say that the day of judgment is merely a figurative expression that speaks of reaping in eternity what we've sown in time. But the Bible clearly teaches that the day of judgment speaks of a formal event that will be visible and public and final. It speaks of an inescapable event, the day of the manifestation of the righteousness and holiness of God the day in which the sentence will be pronounced publicly by the righteous judge of heaven and earth. That day, we are all facing. And that day is rapidly approaching. In that day, there will be three significant events that take place. First will take place the resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust, righteous or wicked. And then all shall appear before the judgment seat of God and of Christ, there to receive their public sentence. And finally, there will be the execution of that judgment in the damnation of the wicked and the glorification of those whose lives are in Christ Jesus. As far as that judgment is concerned, the Bible reveals several things. In the first place, every rational moral creature in heaven and on earth will be judged. All shall be judged included among those who shall be judged in the day of judgment, are the angels. Specifically, Jude verse 6 tells us that 
the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Paul also tells us, Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3. But you realize it's not just angels that come under judgment. Every single person comes under that judgment. Every person born into this world shall come under that judgment. We have often heard reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And to mention but one more passage, Revelation chapter 20 calls our attention to the truth that God's book shall be open and every person who has ever lived, small or great, believer or unbeliever, shall be judged. Shall we have boldness in that judgment? Remember in the second place concerning this judgment, God is judge. The perfectly holy and righteous God is judge. When we speak about boldness in the day of judgment, we have to remember we're speaking about boldness in standing before that perfectly holy and righteous God. And he's the one who knows all things. Nothing's hidden from him. Job 34, verses 21 and 22, For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his going. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. And that truth is set before us in all Scripture. God not only knows everything that takes place in the world, he knows every person. He knows what a person does. He knows everything you have done and do. He knows all the thoughts that every person has ever had. He knows the desires that have ever risen in the heart of every person. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. He exposes them to your own conscience time and time again, especially when you come under his quick and powerful word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the bones and marrow, as we read in, in Hebrews 4 verse 12. 
How many times have not you sat under the preaching and wondered, how did the preacher know me? Very likely the preacher didn't know anything about you. But God did. And does. God knows and applies his word personally and appropriately, oftentimes, to every one of us. Now look at this text again. Quite a thing to say, we shall have boldness in the day of judgment, isn't it? That's quite a statement. When we know that God knows every deed we have ever committed, every thought that has gone through our minds, every desire that has risen in our hearts, every motive, every purpose, from our infancy until now, and he judges. He judges righteously. Quite a thing to speak of boldness when we know, moreover, that God himself is holy, without blemish, perfectly righteous in his judgment, consecrated to his own glory and spotless He's without compromise. The righteous God loveth righteousness. He shall certainly express judgment in truth according to his perfect holiness and righteousness. Paul writes the same in Romans 2, verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. I say it's quite a thing to confess that we have boldness to stand before God with all that we have ever thought or done, isn't it? That takes tremendous boldness, doesn't it? In the third place, remember, the standard of that judgment is the revealed will of God. We will be judged according to all that we have been given. Every person has been given some knowledge of God's will, as we are told in Romans 1, verses 19 and 20, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And as further explanation is given in Romans 2 verse 15, we find that these show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. But you and I have been given much 
the baptism that marks us and that we can never shake off testifies that we have been given much and to whom much has been given, much is required. To us, the gospel has been preached. And therefore, to us pertains the adoption and the covenant and the promises. And before us has been placed the unsearchable riches of Christ. And with those riches comes the exhortation of Hebrews 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And as we read in 1 Peter 4, verse 17, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? Remember, too, that because that judgment will be according to the perfect standard of God's holiness, by the perfect God, that judgment shall be perfectly just and without recourse. There will be no second chance for anyone. After death and after the final day of judgment, there shall be no appeal. The judgment is final. It's either heaven or hell. Knowing, therefore, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and that God himself must be seen as perfectly righteous in all his judgments, the question becomes, how shall we stand there? Well, first of all, it's important to remember for all the Bible teaches us about the day of judgment, we are also told that God shall judge, but he shall be judged only in Christ. Don't forget that. If you belong to Christ, you immediately find in him a reason for boldness. In the day of judgment, we shall not stand before God face to face, but we shall see Jesus, our Christ. John records in his gospel account the words of Jesus in John 5, verse 27, telling us that the Father has given him all authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. In Romans 14, we are told that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. But that shall come this way, verse 10, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so Peter preached, 
in Acts 10, verse 42, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead, and then follows this, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. We shall stand before him whose precious blood has cleansed us from all our sins. And so we who believe and who live in his fellowship and therefore in fellowship with God the Father shall stand in the day of judgment. We shall stand before him having known and believed the love that God hath to us. And therefore the text says, we shall stand before him in boldness. The idea of that boldness is that we shall not shrink back before that great judge We shall stand before him in in free and fearless confidence. There's something absolutely amazing about this. You can well understand that if you are called to appear before an earthly judge, you may expect to experience some degree of anxiety. Say you've been charged with a crime. You didn't commit it. You know you didn't commit it. You realize that the evidence against you does not prove that you did commit it. You have confidence that you have an excellent attorney representing your case. Nevertheless, there are enough different possibilities and scenarios going through your mind that you realize the judge could actually find you guilty. Even though you are not. Now imagine appearing before a judge where you are guilty. And the case against you is overwhelming. The question, therefore, involves not just the judgment, but the sentence. What shall the judge pronounce as the sentence? I don't know of a person having been called before an earthly judge who would not, to some degree, be anxious. But when it comes to standing before the judge of all the earth, king of kings and lord of lords, before whom the angels cover their faces, we may have boldness. We may stand there as relaxed as if we were visiting with a friend. That's astounding. That's absolutely amazing. But understand, the text speaks of having boldness not merely in that day, This doesn't merely call us to that event sometime in the future, 
That is, we know that the day is coming when we shall stand before the judgment seat of God in Christ. But we're called to place ourselves right there today. Even now, we stand in the full awareness of standing before God in the day of judgment. Every day, we stand before God in Christ, knowing that He's the judge of all our works, of all our thoughts, of all our desires and motives. Every day. We know that God judges us every moment. And right now, as we stand before that judge, right now, we are conscious of his judgment of us. And as we think about that coming day of judgment, we may have boldness. Boldness. We may be entirely at peace. Free of anxiety, free of terror, Free of, what if I don't measure up? Boldness. That's the text. Amazing. What's the possibility for such boldness in the day of judgment? How is it possible that we can sit here in the full consciousness of our own sinfulness and the spotless purity of the Lamb of God and of God Himself, the perfectly Holy One, and yet look forward to that day of judgment knowing that we shall not be condemned. What's the possibility for that? Now the short answer to that question even our children know, don't they? It's Jesus. This is possible only in Christ. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment is possible only because of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, blood shed for you and for me. We recognize from Scripture that judgment is a day that serves a special purpose. That judgment will be a revelation of the perfect justice of God in Christ. That judgment serves to reveal God in all His glory. Otherwise, the day of judgment won't even be necessary. God doesn't need to stand in front of every person and examine each person before deciding where to send him or her for eternity? Of course not. That's not necessary for God's sake. He knows. He could just as easily send the wicked to hell and send the righteous to glory without any special day of judgment. But in that day, he will reveal himself as just. The judgment is the theodicy, the making clear of God's justice. The human race doesn't see that justice today. We often do not see God's justice. The wicked grow more and more bold in their wickedness, 
and by outward appearances, there is no justice. Oh, but there is. And God is going to make clear that there was and is justice. He will show that he was righteous in all his works and in all his ways, that he is righteous in his sovereign judgment and sentence of every single individual. But we shall stand in Christ and before Christ. So God will justify himself in saving us. He will say, see, this one belongs to Christ. I have given him to Christ from eternity. And Jesus has paid the price for him, for her. Still more in that day of judgment, we shall already stand before God in our resurrection bodies. As the wicked shall stand before him in their bodies fit for everlasting damnation and torments, we shall stand before him in glorified bodies. And therefore it shall be clear that all our works, all our thoughts, our desires, our motives, everything about us shall have been judged in the light of the cross and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. So it's true, the possibility of boldness in the day of judgment is our justification in the blood of Christ and our faith connection with him. But now notice, that's not what John calls attention to in the words of this text. He doesn't even speak of faith in Christ, even though that's presupposed in what John would emphasize here. He doesn't speak of our justification in the blood of Christ, though again, that's necessarily implied. But John's emphasis is different. The possibility of boldness in the day of judgment is found in love, in the relationship in which we stand to God in his Son. You see, beloved John, no, let's put it more explicitly. The Holy Spirit, after all, he's the one who's addressing us through the inspired apostle. The Holy Spirit would have you experience that boldness. And therefore, he speaks of love. When love is made perfect, then we have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, you can understand this easily enough because when you stand in a relationship of love, you have boldness that the one who loves you will receive you. When you live in that relationship of holy marriage, in that bond of love, you know that whether as a husband or a wife, when you mess up, you make a mistake. 
your spouse is still going to receive you. That's because of that bond of love. You know that within a relationship of love, there is acceptance. And even when as a child you do something wrong and perhaps must receive chastisement from father or mother for the wrong that you have done, you know that they will not love you any less. Because they love you, you will be received. Now we have spent much time in this fourth chapter of John's first epistle talking about the love of God. And we have seen that love within God himself, among the three persons of the Holy Trinity. We have seen that God has manifested that love to us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. We have seen that the love of God most certainly accomplishes its purpose even through the giving of his own Son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. We have seen that that love of God has been poured out into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, evidenced in this, that we love God and one another. His love is perfected in us. That is, his love has reached its purpose in us. That's the idea of God's love being perfected. It reaches its purpose in our love for him and for one another. And therefore, when John says in our text, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, the idea is, herein is that perfect love manifest. Herein is that love manifest in our consciousness to our experience that we may have boldness. That love, after all, is not only for us, but in us. We have known and believed the love that God hath in us because we dwell in him and he in us. There is no closer relationship among men than that relationship that we enjoy with the living God in Christ by faith. And when we live in that knowledge, that knowledge of faith, then we experience in our hearts that nothing can separate us from that love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And we have boldness. We can say, because God loves me. He will never condemn me. That would be impossible. Though I have experienced many chastisements at his hand, they are all instruments of his love, preparing me for the glory that awaits me. 
I stand before him always. The day of judgment shall be nothing different from today when it comes to my standing before God. I live in freedom. The freedom of his loving embrace. Isn't that beautiful, beloved? What a blessing is ours living in God's fellowship. But the apostles still add something. The text adds a ground for that boldness when it says in the last part of the verse, because as he is, so are we in this world. The word because introduces a ground, in this case a ground for the boldness. We are like him, the apostle would have us confess. As he is, so are we. And the context indicates that that word he refers to God. John has been setting forth that amazing and wonderful truth that by faith in Jesus Christ, we dwell in God and he in us. Such is life in God's fellowship. By faith we dwell in him, in Jesus Christ, and he dwells also in us by Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit, But the emphasis is that as found expressed in verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And in the last part of verse 16, he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Now what does the apostle mean when he contends that we are as he is? We are just as God? How bold is that statement? You know, there there sometimes are statements made in Scripture that we would never dare take upon our lips. Were it not right there? There are verses in Scripture that that express astounding truths. There's that statement in 2 Peter 1 verse 4 that refers to us as partakers of the divine nature. Who would dare say that if that were not in the Bible? Well, here you have it. As God is, so are we in this world. What are we to make of such a statement? It's such an astounding proposition that, except we find it clearly expressed here in this text, we would never dare say it. Now clearly the expression does not intend to say that we are just as God, essentially. That's impossible. No man is like God in his being. Impossible. Remember once again, therefore, the emphasis of this whole section 
The emphasis is on God's love. And as we live in his fellowship, our love, as Christ's life comes to expression in us. That's the emphasis. So that the idea is here that we are like God in love. That's the idea. And I say again, what a profound statement. But here it is, plainly before us in God's inspired word, as he is, so are we in this world. We're like God in love. That's the idea. As God loves us, so we love him. Our love is made perfect, complete. As God loves his people, so we love the brethren. But how does this serve as a ground for boldness in the day of judgment? Don't overlook the last three words of the text. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You and I live in this world, a very evil world, a corrupt world, through and through. Yes, there is that world which God loves. But the reference here is to the the world which is the stage of all evil, of all unrighteousness, of all that which cries out for God's judgment. And the world comes under condemnation. That condemnation of the world is evident all around us. It's been evident throughout the ages. The world lies under the shadow of death. That's the judgment of God. And we are in this world. Shall we be condemned with the world? Impossible. Why not? Because as God is, so are we in this world. Isn't that beautiful, beloved? As God loves us, so we love him. That's right, as we read in verse 19, we love him because he first loved us, But we love as God loves. We love the brethren. Of course. We've seen before, it cannot be any different when we live in God's fellowship. Because when we are his in Christ, as he is, so are we in this world. If I can say that I dwell in love, I know that God must be dwelling in me. And therefore, I am fulfilling God's ultimate purpose in sending his son into this world. That is, his love is being perfected in me. And God can never condemn those who are like him. Live, therefore, in the freedom with which Christ has made you free. Stand before death, before the day of judgment, in boldness, in perfect peace. And with a view to that day, in love for God, 
let's also love one another. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for thy rich and glorious gospel, which proclaims him who is faithful and true. Apply it to our hearts, that we may live in the consciousness of thy loving fellowship in Jesus Christ our Lord, and that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. For Christ's sake, amen.